Certainly glad that you're here this evening. This week is passing very rapidly as after tonight we'll have two more lessons in the gospel meeting. We talk tomorrow night about how shall the young secure his heart and then we'll close the gospel meeting on Friday night talking about why have you not obeyed the gospel. encourage you to be back and invite others to come and be with you at those opportunities if at all possible. I think it's an undeniable fact that our world, our society, has lost all sense of modesty. I think the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 12 could very well be said of the world in which we live when Jeremiah pointed out that were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall, In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. And certainly you don't have to look very far. Do you see the fact that we have lost that sense of modesty? In fact, we are, schools are now doing away with dress codes and people are allowed to dress it however they want to. I don't know how many times I've read over the last year or two about particularly in liberal communities where schools are just completely doing away with dress codes because uh, they, they say that they are antiquated, they're outdated, and so you can just wear whatever you want to wear. And some of the things that I've seen that they wear are, are certainly uh, inappropriate by any uh, standard at all. Not only are schools doing away with dress codes, God's people have not been unaffected by that. I know few congregations that are not affected by the problem of modesty or the problem of immodesty. Some to greater degrees than others, but almost all that I see have some degree of problem with members that are not dressing according to biblical standards. And so it's not a new problem by any stretch of the imagination. It's been around for a very long time. If you grew up in the 60s or 70s, you might well remember when skirts were extremely short in the Brady Bunch era and things like that. So it's not a new problem. It's been around for a long time. And sometimes it just seems that it gets progressively worse. Well, why is it that there is a problem with modesty? And why is it that we battle that problem, unfortunately, sometimes among the people of God? I think largely it goes back to the problem of parenting and raising up children to respect the standard of modesty. I firmly believe we need stronger preaching on modesty. And I have no doubt you get that and have received that. But I believe that with the absence of parental support, that all the good teaching on modesty is not all that effective. But sometimes... Even in the absence of solid preaching, when the parents are instilling the children with a sense of modesty, they can overcome that. And so I think that the problem clearly lies with the role that parents play. And so when I talk about modesty tonight, we want to talk about it from the standpoints of parents and modesty. If we think about the role of parenting, I think it's important, first of all, to realize that you are responsible for the training of your children. You're responsible for raising them up and guiding them in the right direction. God did not give the role of raising your children up in the right way to the preacher. He didn't give that role to the elders, though they may play a part in the teaching and preaching that is done publicly and and being sure that good Bible classes are provided. 
the responsibility to raise your children up is given to you. It's given it's a responsibility that you can't pass off to someone else. In the book of Proverbs chapter 22 and in verse 6, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Or some translations say, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, if you take that child and you point them in the right direction, and that word train really is a word that means to dedicate or to inaugurate. And I think he's talking about pointing them in the direction of service to God, giving them over to God's service. If you do that in their younger years, then more often than not, they will remain faithful to God. It is a general rule, but for it to be a rule, it has to be true in more cases than not. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. You have the responsibility to teach God's Word diligently to your children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 6 to 9, we looked at earlier in the week, but he's talking to the people of Israel. And he said, The words that I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hands, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. Now, you've got that responsibility to teach the Word of God to your children. Not only to teach it, but to teach it diligently to your children. That word that's translated diligently literally means to impress or to prick. And it is translated as impress them on your children in the New International Version. I sometimes ask this, myself this question, and, and I think every parent has to ask it. Does the word diligent really describe the effort that you're putting forth to teach your child? When you think about doing something with diligence, with effort, with putting everything we have into that, does the word diligent really describe the effort that you're putting forth to be sure that your children know the Word of God and to know the standards that God expects us to live by? So when we think about the subject of modesty, or even the broader subject of serving God, you have the responsibility to raise your child up in the right way and to teach them how they should live, including how they should dress in order to be pleasing unto God. But not only do you need to understand the need to train, raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6 and verses 1 through verse 3, we need to be reminded that in the area of modesty that we cannot allow the world to set your family's standard on modesty. What has happened, I believe, among the people of God in many ways, is we've allowed the world to set our standard. And so many parents are concerned about their children fitting in to this world, fashioning themselves after the standard of this world. Christians are not to conform themselves to this world. Romans 12 and 1 and 2. The, the, the Apostle Paul had in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans laid out the fact we are justified by, by grace through faith. And he comes into chapter 12 and begins the section, I believe, that is dealing with here's how we live in light of the salvation we enjoy in Christ Jesus. In light of all that God has done for us, he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, that we are to give ourselves as living sacrifices, or present our bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What that passage is saying is that as Christians, we are not conformed to this world. That word conformed means to fashion in accordance with, to conform or to assimilate oneself to, Bill Mount says. Uh, it is defined as to conform oneself, one's mind and character, to another's pattern or to fashion oneself according to, according to Thayer. It is a word that is, means to change the external form or to transfigure is what the word transform means. It's the opposite of conform. So conform means we fashion ourselves, as it's translated in the American standard. The word transform means we undergo a change. In fact, this word transform or transfigure, from which we get the word metamorphosis, meaning to change the external form, it is translated as to transfigure in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 2 and Mark 9 and verse 2 on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the point is that Christians are not like this world. Instead, we are transformed. Not only do we see that, we see in John chapter 17 and 14 to 20, Jesus prayed for his disciples that they were going to be separate from the world. In John 17, 14 to 20, Jesus said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now while Jesus is in that immediate context talking about his, his disciples, and the prayer certainly would apply to you and I that we are not of this world. We're not, we're not to fit into this world. We're not to be like this world. And so the idea is John 17, 17, have sanctified them by thy truth. That word sanctify means to set apart, to make holy. How are we going to be different than this world? Well, when we're obeying the word, when we're in the word and obeying the word, we're going to be different. We're not going to be of this world. John 17 and verse 17. Now one area in which oftentimes we have conformed ourselves to this world is in the area of dress. I find too many Christians, Christian parents, who are concerned about their children taking the mold of this world. And we need to be sure that we're not allowing the world to set our standard as parents relative to conduct or relative to dress. In fact, what we need to be teaching our children is to come out from among them and to be separate and to be different. Well, let me just say that not only do I think we allow the world to set our standard on modesty sometimes when we allow our children to dress like the world dresses, I think we can also allow the world to set our standard by simply believing that our goal is to be more conservative than what the world is. In other words, sometimes someone might say, well, this is how the world is dressing, but now we're still on this side of the way the world dresses. I remember years ago there was... Uh, someone that was supposedly was very religious in the entertainment industry that came out with a, uh, a line of clothes and they boasted about the modest clothes that they were going to develop. Well, when you looked at that, they hesitated to begin and they ended all too soon, as someone said. You had things that were strapless and short, but they said, well, these are modest 
because they're not as bad as what everybody else is doing. Sometimes I think we think the world, we allow the world to set our standard, not just by fitting in, but by just thinking as long as we're on this side of what the world is, is wearing or this side of what the world is doing, then that's okay, and that's not what our standard is. So as parents, when it comes to raising up children, that is a challenge that, that, that is not easy always in the world in which we live, we've got to remember it's my responsibility to raise my children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's a God-given responsibility. I tell people all the time, it's the most frightening responsibility I've ever undertaken. It frightened me far more than being a preacher, more, far more than any other task I ever undertook was thinking about four souls have been committed into my hands to guide and to direct in the right way. It's a serious job. And I can't allow the world to set my standard by which I'm going to allow them to conduct themselves. But now, not only can I not allow the world to set my standard, let me just say this, I can't let my children set the standard on modesty. Fathers are to be the spiritual leaders in their homes. In fact, when it comes to the problem of modesty, do you know where I tend to put the primary blame for that in Christian homes? I tend to place it on the shoulders of the father. And the reason I do that is because the fathers have the responsibility to be the spiritual leader. That's not to say that the mothers don't play a responsibility. They do, a very serious responsibility. But God said in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, that fathers raise up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Why? Because you are the spiritual leader in your home. You see that God's standards are met. You see that one conducts themselves by God's word. I also blame fathers, by the way, for this reason. We'll talk more about this in a moment, but men and women think differently. That, that there is a reality that men and women think differently. They think differently even in terms of modesty. The reality is men are more visually stimulated than what women are. And I think sometimes fathers need to look at their daughters and say, do you know how young men view someone that's dressed this way? From a man's perspective, let me just tell you, that's not appropriate. That, that, this is what others are going to think about that. Be the spiritual leader in your home. Set the standard and be sure that it is carried out. But I want to tell you, in far too many instances... It is not the father, nor even the mother that's the leader in the home, but it's the children that are allowed to set the standards. Have you ever seen a home like that? Where the children set the standards? I've seen that with regard to a whole lot of areas. Children dictate what we're going to do, where we're going to attend, how we're going to dress. There have been times I've talked to parents and they said, well, we're going to, we're, we're going to leave and we're going to go over and we're going somewhere else to church. And I said, why are you doing Well, that's what our children want. Now, we think we'd be better off here. But our children want to go over there and I think, who's the spiritual leader? Who's setting the standards? Who's supposed to be guiding the way? Don't let your children set the standard. Don't be like Eli and his sons when the Bible says that they became vile and he did not restrain them. In other words, don't allow your children to dictate their spiritual principles directly or indirectly. Be the spiritual leaders in your home. If you don't, there'll come a time you'll regret that decision that you've made. So when it comes to parents and modesty, how do we raise our children up in a world where modesty has been lost? 
And how do we guide them in the right way? Well, number one, I've got to guide them by teaching them, by, by realizing my responsibility, not letting the world set the standard, not letting my children set the standard of modesty, but I also believe what we need to do is we need to teach our children the reason for modesty. I think one of the great challenges of being a parent is not just teaching our children you do this and you don't do that, and here's what you believe and we don't believe this, but is teaching them the reason why so that they develop a faith of their own. That's a challenge sometimes. I don't want just my children to raise, to grow up and say, you know what, Daddy said that we couldn't wear anything above the knee. Or Daddy said that we, he didn't think it was appropriate for us to go to the dance. Or Daddy didn't think... You know, we ought to do this or do that. I want them to understand the reason why I said that. I want them to understand those biblical principles so that when they grow old, they're still going to live by those principles. Not only live by them themselves, I want them to pass them on to their children after them. And so it's not just a matter of setting a standard and saying here's what we can do and not do, but it's a matter of teaching them the reason why that those principles are the one principles that guide our home. Well, when I talk about teaching our children the why of modesty, what am I talking about? Well, I think we need to teach our children that their clothing tells something about their character. That how they dress tells something about their priorities. It tells something about their character. In fact, I think there are numerous Bible passages that tell us that. Proverbs 7 and in verse 10 talks about the one that wears the attire of a prostitute or of a harlot. I think it's the one translation, maybe the New Living Translation, that says she's dressed seductively. In other words, her dress tells something about her. It tells about her character. Here is a woman that is loose with her morals and she's identified by the dress that she is wearing. But even all the way back in the Old Testament, in the very early part of the Old Testament, you may remember that in, in Genesis chapter 38 and in verse 15, that when Judah saw uh, Tamar, he thought she was a harlot because she'd covered her face. Even then, there was some type of clothing that identified her as being a harlot. But not only did I know that in the, in the, in the Old Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, not 2 Timothy, but in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 9 and verse 10, we have what is probably the most familiar passage to us about modesty. And what that passage says in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 9 and in verse 10 is he said that in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or golds or pearls or costly array, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Or not only can our clothing tell something about whether or not we have a loose character, there's a certain way that people that profess godliness, respect for God, respect for godly principles, dress. And so we need to tell our children that when they make the decisions about what they're going to wear, that reflects their character. It tells somebody something about them. But not only do I need them to understand, and do I want them to understand, that their clothing tells something about their character, 
And that's illustrated here by this, by this quote from an article that a preacher wrote some years ago. But he pointed out that the stark difference between biblical modesty and femininity was illustrated on a night as another preacher and I, along with our wives and families, were on the street in a large city near our home. Two young women who were dressed provocatively walked by and received cattle calls and lewd remarks of a couple of young guys. The boys turned around and saw my wife standing there. She's 32 dressed in a modest skirt and top and said, Oh, sorry, ma'am. Ladies need to understand that how they're dressed says a lot about who they are and determines to some extent how they will be treated. Scriptures back that up. So we need to understand it tells something about our character, but I also need them to understand the principles of 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9. Parents have responsibility to be sure that these principles are always in front of their children's minds. There are three principles that are found particularly here in this text. When he talks about women dressing with modest apparel, with propriety, and with moderation. Not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array. I want my children to understand the principle of modest apparel. That word modest is a word that's translated respectable. It means orderly and well-arranged and decent. In, the, in commenting upon that, Kittle says it describes one who disciplines himself and who may thus be regarded as generally moral and respectable, self-controlled, disciplined, well-mannered, and honorable. One of my favorite definitions on that is from R.C. Trench, who pointed out the well-ordering is not of dress and demeanor only, but of the inner life, uttering indeed and expressing itself in the outward conversation. What is he saying? He's saying we dress in a way, not that just well-ordered in the sense we care about our appearance, but it is that which is respectable. It demands respect. But the, the, the dress comes out of the well-ordering of the inner life, and then it expresses itself in our outward conversation. And so I want to understand that there are certain things that are proper, certain things that are well-ordered, And not only that, he goes on in this text and talks about not only that which is respectable or modest, but he talks about a sense of propriety or a sense of, of a a sense of propriety, a sense of shame, reverence. It's often said that this is what prevents the shameful acts. Vine says a sense of shame or modesty is used regarding the demeanor of women in the church. Shamefastness is that modesty that is fast or rooted in character. So, in, and, and I would disagree with the fact that in 1 Timothy 2 verse 9, by the way, that's limited to what's taking place in the assembly or in the church in 1 Timothy 2 9. I think those principles would apply anywhere. But the point that he's making here is you've got that shamefastness, the sense of shame, the sense of, uh, of right and wrong that is embarrassed or shameful of doing that which is dishonorable. Where does that shame grow? To be shamefast is to be rooted in shame that grows out of character. Talk about somebody being bedfast. You know what that means? That means they're, 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 they're rooted there, aren't they? They can't, they, they, they can't get out of bed. Bedfast, to be shamefast means it's rooted and it's rooted in their character. In fact, in commenting upon that, R.C. Trent says, this sense of shame that hinders one from doing an unworthy act. That the sense of shame is what caused one to look at something and say, that's wrong, and because it's wrong, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that because it's wrong, regardless of what others say. It is involved in innate moral repugnance to the doing of a dishonorable act. 
It implies reverence for good as good and not fear for reputation alone. In other words, let me, let me say, somebody that's concerned about reputation alone might be willing to dress modestly when they're around others that think that they have to dress in a certain way, but outside of their eyes, they may not care how they appear. So, you know, when it comes to dressing modestly, if I was around fellow members of the church, I might do that. But now if I go somewhere off and I'm going to be on vacation, others I may not do that. Since shame doesn't, does not concern itself with reputation alone, it wants to do good. You know why? Because it's good. It wants to do the right thing because it's right. That's the idea of what he's expressing here. And so it implies reference for good as good and not fear for reputation alone. That shame fastness which shrinks from the overpassing the limits of womanly reserve and modesty as well as from the dishonor which would just attach there to. And so I want my children to understand they need to have a sense of shame when it comes to the standard of modesty and meaning godly principles. And then soundness of mind and sound judgment, self-control. Uh, when it talks about sound judgment or sound mind or dressing with some degree of sobriety, I think that really expresses two thoughts. Number one, despite what some would have you to believe, I, I am a firm believer. The principles of modesty aren't that difficult. They're not hard. You know, when somebody comes around and says, well, I just don't know that we can draw a line or I don't know if we can say what's right and what's wrong, it's not rocket science. It takes some common sense. It takes some sober thinking. And when we're using sober thinking and some common sense, we know what's right and what's wrong. We know what's modest and immodest. The problem is not in the difficulty of God's command. It may be in the fact that we just really don't want to do it, which may be expressed by that word self-control. We're not directing ourselves into the way that we're going to be guided by what God says because we're too much concerned perhaps about fitting in with others or doing what we want to do. This condition of self-command is taken up and transformed into a condition yet higher still in which a man does not order and command himself but is ordered and commanded by God. It is that habitual inner self-government with its constant range on all the passions and desires which would hinder the temptation to overstep the limits of womanly reserve and modesty. What is he saying? He's just simply saying that this is the quality that says I'm going to be guided not by what I want, not by what uh, the world is doing, not by what my children want. I'm going to be guided by what God says. That's that quality. Now, see, when you have a desire to dress in a respectable way and you have a sense of shame and overstepping those bounds and you exercise good common sense that is going to be grained in and governed by God's word, then the problem of modesty begins to sort of take care of itself. And so I want my children, when I talk about teaching them the reason for modesty, I want them to understand about their character. I want them to understand about the principle of 1 Timothy 2.9. And one of the most important principles I tried and have tried to impress in the minds of my children is the biblical principle of nakedness. As much as any other principle... I guess I tried, whether to address, I tried to impress on their minds was this principle of nakedness. And from the time they were young, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, I wanted them to understand that you can be naked and have your clothes on, or have some clothes on. I want them to understand that nakedness can be, one can be naked and have clothes on that are insufficient. You remember in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10, when it talks about Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 and in verse 10, 
And the Bible said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. But you go back in the text, you know, he already had on the loincloth. He was naked with clothes on, but they were insufficient. They didn't cover enough of his body. And so I wanted my children to understand, to understand and tried to teach them, you could be naked with your clothes on as long as it's not covering enough of your body. And I wanted them to understand a point that several of my brethren apparently have a little difficulty understanding, and that is you can be naked or are naked when the thigh is exposed. Again, we're not talking about things that are that difficult to comprehend and understand. You know what a thigh is? When you look it up in the dictionary, the thigh is the part that reaches from the knee to the hip. It's pretty simple to understand. I don't understand the difficulty that some have in understanding that, that, that this is the thigh. And what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 38 and verse 42 relative to the priest is they were to make linen trousers or breeches that reached, from, that reached to the thigh, that covered the thigh, so that their nakedness would not be exposed. You know what that means? It means if that thigh was exposed, guess what? They were naked. That's pretty simple to understand. And I wanted my children to understand that. That when you see people, that whether they're members of the church, whether they're people of the world, whether they're people that are playing sports, doesn't matter what activity they're involved in, when that part of the body is exposed, guess what? They're naked by biblical standards. But I can remember a few times when my children were very young and I talked to them about modesty, but they didn't have the discretion sometimes what say, not say. Sometimes they might say, you know, to somebody that pulled in the car next to us, I get, Daddy, she's naked. You know why? Because I tried to get them to understand, here's the principle. Here it is. And when they violate that, they are naked. John Mallory, not a member of the church, he wrote a number of books on uh, fashion and dress. I find this so very interesting because it comes not from a preacher. It, it doesn't come from elders in the Lord's church. It doesn't even come from somebody who thinks that something's inherently wrong. But he was, the question was raised, should a business or professional woman ever wear a skirt above the knee to the office? And he said the biggest mistake women make is they believe that they see the world as men do, but they see the world differently. He said, we did a study with women wearing conservative suits with skirts above the knees, and women would comment that they, that the women were attractive and could be very capable, very talented, and men, on the other hand, said they saw legs which were sexy. In other words, if that's what they're thinking, I tell you what they're not thinking. They're not thinking godly and holy, as it said in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. So when we think about parents and modesty, we need them to understand the principle of nakedness. And that when God clothed Adam and Eve, he clothed them from the shoulder to the knees. Genesis 3 and verse 21. That's what that tunic covered. And I know when I cover that, I'm covering what God uh, covered in Adam and Eve. And I want my children not only to understand this principle of nakedness uh, and and of the, the tunic that covered, as we said, from uh, to, uh, from knee down to the, I mean, from shoulder to the ankle. I want them to understand that when they reveal that part of the body, they make it difficult for others to think about things they need to be thinking about. There was a survey of young men in Pennsylvania, and they were asking them about how people dressed, particularly as they came into worship, 
and they were asked about the effect it had and, and what they thought about cleavage and the tight-fitting shirts and pants and skirts revealing the thighs. And they said, yes, they had a problem on both of those accounts. He said, reveal cleavage, tight-fitting shirts and pants, skirts revealing the thighs, all make it difficult to think about God instead of sex, even during the worship assemblies. I'll tell you, I think it's sad sometimes when I have people that have expressed concern to me about waiting on tables or doing other things because of how people are, are dressed. And so we need to understand that one can be naked and have clothes on, and we need to teach our children that some parts of the body are unpresentable, 1 Corinthians 12 and 23, and I need to teach my children that the bait they catch really depends on the bait they use. And what I mean by that is most people want their children to grow up and marry someone. They want godly families. But you know, the kind of mate one catches or ends up marrying depends on what they're using to attract them with. And one that's attracted by that which is lewd or that which is inappropriate, then that tells something about their character. You don't want somebody attracted by your physical qualities, but rather by your spiritual qualities. And so when we think about this principle, what do we think about parents and modesty? Well, you're responsible for training your children. Not, not the, Don't let the world do it. The schools aren't responsible for it. Preachers and elders and Bible class teachers can supplement what parents do, but they cannot make up for a failure of the home to do its part. Don't let the world set your family standard. Don't let your children set the standard. Teach your children not just what they can wear and what they can't wear, but teach them the reason for modesty. Teach them the why. And finally, let me just say, when I think about parents and modesty, teach your children about modesty early in life. Start early. What do I mean by starting early? You know, we begin early on in life training our children. In fact, I think it would be impossible to overemphasize the importance of starting early. James Dobson was asked one time about the teenage, uh, diffusing the teenage time bomb, the best time to diffuse the teenage bomb, the time bomb is 12 years before it starts. In other words, what he's saying is you start early, laying those principles and the discipline that is going to lead to them doing the right thing as they grow old. You've got to start early in life. Proverbs 13 and verse 24 said, whoever loves his son disciplines him promptly. And there's some debate among translators and commentators what that means. Some believe that it means you start, you, you discipline him promptly, as some translations. In other words, when the misbehavior comes, you discipline them immediately. You don't wait, you don't delay, but it is prompt in the administering of the discipline. There are others that render it, as the American Standard, you discipline him betimes, which is early on. In fact, the Tyndall con, uh, Translation says, the phrase is literally, he seeks him early with discipline. God's word translation, not one I would typically recommend, but he said, whoever loves his son disciplines him from early on. I believe it's Kyle and Dalix that says that's early, not relative to the misbehavior, but it's early in life that that begins. And so what he's saying is, you begin early trying to guide and direct that child in the right way. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, well, you know, one of the, the great biblical characters of the New Testament is the young preacher Timothy. And there are a lot of things that are impressive about, about Timothy. And one of them is the fact that apparently without the role model of a godly father who was either dead or not a member of the church, he's spoken of in the past tense in the book of Acts, 
Through the role of Lois and Eunice, this young man grew up to be one of the great uh, preachers of the New Testament. Uh, right hand of the Apostle Paul, a son in the faith. Well, how did he turn out that way? Well, I tell you how he turned out that way is that Lois and Eunice didn't wait and decide when, when Timothy was a teenage boy, you know, it's time now we need to teach him something about God. We need to, we need to teach him to love the Lord. Instead, what the Bible says is that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. In fact, that Greek term that's translated, that is translated childhood is a word that is typically translated as infant. In fact, I think it's so translated in the, in the American Standard translation of the Bible is that from infancy, or from a babe rather, you have known the Holy Scripture. The NIV says from infancy. What had happened? Very early on, they began to teach him about biblical principles. That's the point. When he could begin to understand, they, they impressed those in his mind. We sometimes unintentionally teach our children ideas that later we have to unteach them. For example, what I mean by that is that we laugh at things in young kids that we don't tolerate as they get older. We used to, back in the days before we had kids of our own, we'd babysit for others. And I can remember some times where we would babysit a, a child, a particular child, and the mother or dad would come in and they tell the child to do something, and at two two years old or three years old, the child would smart off back at him. You know, I remember one time they came in, and it's like 20 degrees outside, and the, the child was told to put a coat on, and they said, uh, the child looked at him and said, no, I'm not going to do it, or something to that effect anyway, no. And this argument went on way too long. Five, ten minutes, they argue back and forth about whether the child is going to put on his jacket or not. And they finally look at us and say, what do you do if they're going to put it on? And they left with the child without a jacket on. Well, number one, I could have got the jacket on the two-year-old child. But outside of that, I know that child. As she grew up, you know what that two-year-old grew into? It grew into a smart aleck teenager. who grew up into a smart aleck adult that didn't listen to anything their parents had told along. The way. Sometimes we laugh at things that we think are cute when a child is young and we're laying the groundwork for a problem that's going to come later on in life. Now when it comes to the subject of modesty, we, if you want your teenage daughter and son to respect the principles of modesty, then teach them before they're teenagers. Now, I'm not talking about when they're first born and they're wearing a one job. I'm not talking about that. I had a guy come out one time after preaching on modesty and he said, look... I think Micah was just a baby and he had on a bubble suit. And he said, well, look, he's not dressed. But I'm not talking about a baby. And we understand that. But I want to tell you, if you want your teenage daughter to dress modestly, then don't allow your six-year-old daughter to violate the principle. You begin teaching those principles early on in life. Because I've seen too many times somebody will laugh at it and say, well, you know what? You know what? It's okay if she goes and she dresses modestly at a swimming party. She's just, what? She's just six years old. Nobody's going to think anything about it. And then that six-year-old, guess what, comes an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old, and now she's 14 years old, and she doesn't understand why. All of a sudden, we've done this all these years, and now we're going to get, present a principle we haven't presented before. If you want your children to dress modest, I believe not only do they need to understand these principles, you need to start early in life, not just with regard to modesty, let me say with regard to other principles as well, guiding and impressing those on their minds 
so that they will understand those as they get older. I think it's James Dobson that said that a child's personality is almost completely shaped by the time they reach, it's about, it's either five to eight years old, somewhere in that range. Those first years are so critical in trying to raise our children up in the right way. Don't waste time setting the standard. Modesty, like other principles of godliness, are vitally, vitally important. It is certainly not the only thing we need to teach our children. But let me just say, we're losing the battle. We're losing the battle among the people of God. If we haven't already lost it, I don't know. We may have already lost the battle. Somebody say, well, why have we lost the battle? I think there are a number of reasons we've lost the battle. I think there's lack of distinctive teaching and preaching on modesty. It's helped to contribute to that. Maybe that's contributed to the ignorance in some parents. They've never heard preaching and teaching on modesty. But I tell you what I believe another problem is, is there's too many parents that are unwilling to set a standard that is different than the world that their children don't like and try to impress those principles on them from their early years. And I believe if we start doing that, then maybe, at least in some way, in some places, maybe we can start to reverse the trend that has been developing for all too long among God's people. What is your condition here tonight? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to stand before Him in the judgment day and give an account for how you're living your life? It could be that you look at yourself tonight and you say, well, I'm not ready because I've never obeyed the gospel. I've never become a child of God. Well, if that's the case, why not become a child of God tonight? Hearing, believing, repenting, confession, and being baptized, you'll become a child of God. Then serve God faithfully, and you'll have that home in heaven. Or maybe there's somebody here that's obeyed the gospel. Maybe as you have uh, strove to live the Christian life, you failed in a public way. You need to make a public acknowledgement of that. If that's your condition, you can make it right tonight. And somebody will assist you in doing that and will pray to God with you and for you that he'll forgive you. And he will if you're sincere in turning from your sin. There's no need for anybody to leave here tonight not ready to meet the Lord. If you need to make corrections in any way, why not do it tonight? Why not right now? Together we stand and we sing.